It is good to be with you this morning. Before we get started, I wanted to say a couple words of appreciation, and um, I want to first start with, you didn't make it out of here in time, first start with John Barry and the music ministry here. Um, I am not musically inclined, and anybody who's sat around me and heard me sing knows that. And I am just amazed at how God has blessed us at this church. I have been at other churches that would long to have one of the talented people that we have. And we have just a plethora of them. Um, and John works tirelessly to bless us with music. And I'm just so grateful for that. And the, yeah. I'm grateful for the unsung heroes in the back that um, run the PowerPoint and um, do the sound so it doesn't go crazy on us. Stuff I have no clue how to do. So I'm just very grateful. Secondly, I wanted to personally thank the women's ministry team um, for blessing my wife. And I think I can stand for other husbands and the women of this church who went to the retreat. Thank you. Thank you for your loving service. <clears throat> and lastly, I wanted to um, thank three young women who um, I'm just, uh, just blessed to me when I found out what they did for the women at the retreat, and that is Emily Witt and um, Nina Majub and Hannah Wang. Um, so, it is so encouraging in a world that is eating our young people left and right to see young people devoted to Christ, humbly serving him. And so thank you. Um, and, and finally, lastly, finally, whatever you want to call it before we get started, you probably wonder where Dan Deckard went. Um, you guys are probably wondering if we've locked him up, if we've done away with him, or what has happened. We have not. Um, Dan is, as you know, trying to work on finishing up his doctorate. Um, and so he asked for a couple weeks to work on another big portion of it. He had 30 interviews to do um, that were 30 minutes long that he has to transcribe every word, word for word. So I'm glad he has to do that, and I do not. Um, he is really longing to get the monkey off his back and be done with the project. So he took, the elders gave him the last two weeks off, and he'll be back next week. So don't worry, he's still alive. He is still with us. And with that said, would you pray with me? Father, I desire nothing less than your spirit to come in power and use your words to invigorate your people to greater faithfulness. I desire nothing less for myself and my brothers and sisters here to trust wholeheartedly in the power of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To have it unleashed in our lives to see its power worked out in the broken lives of lost people. So, Father, would you meet with us this morning? Would you challenge us this morning? And most importantly, would you change us this morning? 
for your glory's sake, for your people's sake, and for those who need your son, Jesus. Father, meet with us this morning, I pray. Amen. Well, Dan started two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, on a series talking about faithfulness, that we are to be faithful in the place God has us. And he reminded us that for probably 90, or for most of us in this room, that 98% of the time that doesn't mean at church. It's not what we do here at church or what we do for the church. It's how we serve God in our homes. It's how we serve God in the workplace. It's how we serve God at school. It's how we serve God with our neighbors. How we serve God with strangers and co-workers. That service to Christ is our life. And he challenged us to remember and to go out and live our lives serving Christ with boldness. To have our singular aim be our devotion to Jesus Christ in every area of life. That our singular devotion was to also impact those who have authority over us. That we would be singular-minded in our service to Christ and we would serve and love Him in such a way that those in authority over us, whether it be parents, whether it be teachers, whether it be bosses, or whether it be government officials, that our devotion to Jesus would be shine through in our diligence, in our respect, and in the honor we pay to those he's placed over us. And that God would get the glory and the honor for that. And then Mike last week blessed us as God led him to lead us um, in a sermon on the normal Christian life. That we, as normal Christians, cannot count this place our home. We are working towards another destination. We are working towards a home that splendor and glory will surpass any pains and troubles we face in this life. That the normal Christian is a Christian that is not bound by sin, but has died to sin and has been made alive to Christ by the power of the gospel in which he no longer serves his own agenda, but Christ's agenda wholeheartedly. And in that vein of faithfulness to Christ, I wanted to bring up another topic that I I believe God wants us to consider. It is a topic where I think the gospel has been um, bound and stifled and hindered. Um, And I think the best way to address the topic is through a single question. And that question is simply this. Why do so few Christians share their faith with others. The American church is shrinking back. Yet churches in Asia and churches in Africa and churches in South Korea Korea are exploding. And I sat back and as I talked with people and as I read and as I just pondered, I came up with two main reasons. I think that we are hindered in sharing our faith. The first main reason is this. I think that we are hindered by fear. We fear that we may fail. And we are such a success-driven, success-laden society that it cripples us to think that we may fail. 
And so I think we hold back. I think we fear rejection. And so fearing that rejection, we don't share our faith because what if people think we're stupid or what if they think we're weird? And we have different repercussions that come from that. And we fear that happening so we don't share our faith. Or I've heard some of us say that I don't have enough knowledge. And what happens if I share my faith with someone and they ask me a difficult question and I don't have the answer? I'm going to look stupid. Or make that a more nobler question. What if I don't have enough knowledge, I share my faith, I'm not able to adequately answer their question, and they reject Jesus? These kinds of fears, I think, cripple us. And I think they have pushed us to find other means by which we share the gospel. Other means by which we may get the faith across. And I think it's these other means that is the second major crippling thing that we have when it comes to sharing our faith. Let me try and explain. A man may think this way, or may ponder in his heart, you know, if I share the gospel with John, I don't think he'll hear me. But maybe I can invite John to promise keepers. Because then John would see that there's many men who believe. And he would hear these great speakers. And he would experience all that a Promise Keepers Conference has. And then he would believe. Or a woman might think, you know, I don't think Connie would hear me, but maybe I can invite her to the women's retreat. And if she could hear Beth Moore talk about Jesus, and she does such a good job of it, then maybe God would open her eyes. Or maybe you're a young person, and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure what to say to Zach, but if Zach could come to youth group, and if Zach could see all the fun we have as Christians, or if I could get Zach to come to Hume, and, and Zach could see that Christianity is awesome, then maybe Zach would come to faith. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your schoolmates, invite your co-workers to Promise Keepers. Invite them to a women's retreat. Invite them to youth group. Invite them to Hume. But I hope you hear how we subtly have placed our faith in the means other than God has provided. I hope you hear how we've subtly trusted in the gospel plus this person or the gospel plus this ministry. Do you see how we have tried to build up or buffet the gospel because we don't trust that the gospel is enough? But if Beth Moore, who's a wonderful speaker, or if John Piper, or if if I could learn the right, the latest apologetics method, then people would hear me. And I believe it is crippling us 
and we are dying and we are letting a fallen world go to hell because we are trusting in the wrong thing. The gospel is and the gospel only and the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation plus nothing. The message of a crucified, broken Savior who died for the sins of the world is the only power God has deemed worthy and fit to save people. And he has done this precisely because it is not sophisticated. He's done this precisely because it is not overly profound. He's done this precisely because he wants the Spirit of God to empower life, not our magical arguments. He wants... It is the one thing that the, that the Spirit of God will alight in a person's heart to show them their sin and bring them to life. There is no other method. There is no personality plus the gospel. There is no ministry plus the gospel. There is none of that. There is the gospel. And I think we have silenced ourselves for vain fears and wrong trusts. And I think we have crippled the gospel and we have tied it up. And God wants to, us to unleash it. And I believe that's what God wants to tell us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you will turn there and it's going to be on the screen, I think you're going to see that that's exactly what he's saying to us this morning. <clears throat> there we read this. Paul says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and a power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Paul's day, and what is common to us, is to... We like to be around competent, for lack of better words, big people. People who know what they're doing, know where they're going, and we feel comfortable around it. It bolsters our pride to be around those people. That's why even when you were a child, you didn't hang out with nerdy people. Because your arrogance wouldn't allow you to. You wanted to be seen as important. And if the cool person saw you as important, then you were important. And we've taken that all the way to the gospel. And the gospel is an offensive message. It smacks philosophically elitist people in the face because a kindergartner can get it. And in Paul's day, if you were not philosophically savvy, you did not win a hearing. And Paul knew that. 
So he came to the Corinthians in trembling for fear that he might convolute the gospel. If you read Paul's writings, Paul was an amazingly brilliant man and could speak with the best of them. In fact, he was so smart that even Peter says, you know, some of the things Paul writes, I don't get. That's how profound Paul could be. But Paul knew something very important, that the power did not reside in his speaking. It resided in the gospel. And so he came as a meek, weak, trembling man. And he came in a way that he didn't want the gospel polluted. In fact, he says in 117, he says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of his power. The gospel has a distinct purpose. It can only save when people humble themselves. When people quit telling God what to do, and they realize that they've offended him, and they come broken before him with a contrite spirit, and they cry out to him to save them in Christ. That will never happen if we pander to people's pride. That is why the gospel is so straightforward. Christ died for your sins and rose again that you might have life. He is victorious over death and sin. No one else is. And apart from him, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The gospel is so simple in that sense, but it has an amazing power because the Holy Spirit uses it and it alone to awaken dead people to life, to take blinders off of the eyes who are blinded by their sin. And if you hide the gospel, that can't happen. Fancy arguments are dangerous. Do you understand that? Do you hear what Paul is saying? I came and I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. Because if I let anything else get in the way, you would have been doomed. So you Corinthians, remember your history. Remember how you came to life. You came to life because God saved you through a weak message. And he opened your eyes through a powerful spirit that only opened your eyes when you believed this message. It wasn't because of a personality. The Corinthians had got caught up with, well, I'm of Paul. Oh, well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Christ. And the very thing that was to unite them, the gospel, and humble them, was the very thing they began to use to prop up and say, well, look at me, I follow Apollos. He's far more eloquent than Paul. And if you think that they're so vain, think for a moment about us. We do similar things. We have our favorite speakers. Nothing wrong with that. Unless you trust in the speaker. When I went to Master's College, Master's College tended to be very elitist. Um... Not in a bad way, they didn't intend it, but the students sometimes got that way. 
And it was very easy to think, well, if so-and-so doesn't speak like John MacArthur, and if, so, if, if their church doesn't look like, act like, and smell like Grace Community Church, then it's not a good church. In fact, several, unfortunately more than several, have come out of the seminary and split churches because they were trying to make duplicates of John MacArthur and, and Grace Community and trusting in those means. We do that. It is natural for us to gravitate. And Paul knew that, and he was very careful to make sure he kept the gospel clear of all that vanity. As best he could to make sure people understood it's Christ who died, not Paul. It's Jesus who saves, nothing else. It is Christ who rose from the grave that gives power and can open eyes. It is nothing else. It is no other message. It is no other means. Now, God will use all kinds of means. Don't mishear me. But I think we have failed because you are God's army. Paul goes on to remind us in 2 Corinthians that he has made you his ambassadors. God has made you his ambassadors. Weak, broken, not many noble, not many wise, broken people to proclaim a powerful message that humbles people and brings them to their knees before a mighty God. He uses you. In fact, I'm convinced that God uses, because of the things Paul says, he uses plain people who don't convolute the message more than anybody else. Why? Because God alone wants the glory. He is not interested in puffing us up. He deserves and wants the glory. So he gives a message that only a person would believe when the Spirit of God comes upon them. Because it is not sophisticated. It is not something you step back and go, well, that's profound. It is simple enough for a kindergartner to get. And yet, it, when someone comes to faith, they can't say, well, I've looked at every other religion and Christianity seems to be the soundest, so therefore I believe. No. You and I didn't come because we're so smart. We came because there's a merciful God. He And he alone opened our eyes. No one else. What I want you to see, brothers and sisters, I have one aim this morning. And that we would unleash the gospel. That you and I would get back in the army of Christ. That you and I would be bold with the gospel because it is the power of God to, unto salvation. It is so freeing when you get that. Because then all the vain worries about being rejected go away. I mean, for goodness sake, Jesus Christ was rejected far worse than you will ever be, than I will ever be. He alone was rejected on the cross. He alone was crucified. And he stood alone in it. You think people thinking you're foolish is tough? 
Oh, that we would step out in faith and trust in the gospel. And it is freeing because you get to be yourself. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be John Piper. You don't have to go along with all the other silly things that the church sometimes do, does to get people to come to faith. I mean, we do some crazy stuff. Well, who's the latest NBA player who's come to faith? Or the NFL player? Or who's, who's the latest baseball hero that's come to faith? Let's have him speak at church and we'll invite all our friends and we'll have a revival. Or let's look to the Christian coalition or let's look to the latest great apologist. We'll have a revival. And that is not what Paul says. We will have a revival when we begin to trust in the right means, which is the gospel and nothing else. The gospel plus nothing. The gospel in weakness. You get to be yourself. And let me give you a couple examples from the scripture. You get to be yourself, and you get to meet people where they're at. Let me give you an example from Jesus. Jesus comes to a theologically well-studied man named Nicodemus. And he comes to him and he makes a profound statement. He says, you must be born again. And he starts a dialogue with Nicodemus by presenting the gospel by the means of new birth. And he proceeds to help him understand that a man's not just born fleshly, he's got to be born of the Spirit of God. And he helps Nicodemus understand, Nicodemus... I am the rebirth. I am your only means of salvation. Interesting. That's one way. Now, to a broken woman at a well, he comes a very different way. He gives the same message, but in a very different form. He tells the woman at the well, you keep coming, having to come back to this well, and it leaves you thirsty again. Not unlike your husband's who you look to for fulfillment and, and, and to fulfill the longing of your soul. And you've had five of them and now you're on your six and it's still not working, is it? Come to me. I'm, I have eternal waters to give you. I have the waters of eternal life. I am the waters of eternal life. I can soothe your aching soul. No one else. I am the one who can save you. Same salvation message, Christ and Christ alone, but very different forms. Or we could take Paul. Paul goes into Athens, and he, and he comes into Athens, and he sees all these idols. And he's burdened in heart, and he sees an idol to an unknown God. And he goes into Athens, and he says, this is what's really cool. You get to respect people. Christians sometimes aren't very good at this. But he comes to these people, and he doesn't say to them, Boy, you guys are a bunch of nimrods. I mean, good night. You have all kinds of idols to all kinds of gods. In fact, you don't even know who they are. And you don't know how many of them there are, so you even have an idol to an unknown god. How ridiculous is that? No, he doesn't approach him that way. He comes to him with a very respectful message. I see that you are very religious people. In fact, I was noticing an inscription to the unknown god. Can I tell you about him? That's pretty respectful. 
Can I tell you about him? He's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one in which we live and move and have our being. He is the one who is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He gives us life and breath and everything. And by the way, his son came and died for you. And they said, we want to hear more from you about this resurrection thing. Interesting. Three totally different scenarios. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that almost every single one of them is always different. You get to be yourself and respectfully meet people where they are. And then you share that Jesus is salvation, that what he did on the cross is our forgiveness, that he rose from the dead so that we might be given eternal life. That's the message. And it's from your lips that God wants to speak. He wants to reconcile the world to himself through your words. Not through another person's words, through your words. And we've got to get away from looking to the professional to do it. Now again, don't mishear me. I love all the examples and the people that I brought up. But if we go mute in hopes that in their speech they will save, we have misunderstand the power and nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you say to me, then I need more knowledge, I will say to you, very simply, a kindergartner can get it. And I will say to you very simply, and I'm not trying to be rude, that if you don't have enough knowledge to save your faith or to share your faith, it is impossible that you are saved. Does that make sense? But if you have enough knowledge to be saved, then you have an abundance of knowledge to share the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I long for us to reclaim our God-given right to be his ambassadors and to watch his kingdom advance through our lives. He alone can transform sinners into saints. He alone, in the power of the gospel, can save the gospel alone is what the Holy Spirit chooses to unblind eyes. It's Jesus and Jesus plus nothing. And I long for us to join together and not be regressing, but to join our brothers around the world who are moving the gospel forward because they're not waiting for the next famous person to win the day for Christianity. The only famous person they care about is Jesus. He and he alone is our power, our strength, and our salvation. I want to give you a few minutes to pray. And I'd like for you to take some moments. And if when I talked about that you held back because of fear. That if there was a sting in your heart, 
that you would spend some time confessing that to the Lord. Or if you see yourself that you have taken American Christianity wholesale and realize that you have trusted in Jesus plus other means and therefore went mute, that you would spend some time confessing that to God. So right now, in the quietness of your heart, just take some time asking God for forgiveness and ask him to help you to trust in the power of the gospel. Now, if you would take a moment and gather into groups of two or three or four, just those people right around you, and you would just share with each other. Or actually, I don't want you to share with each other yet. I actually want you to do one thing. I want you to pray for each other that God might strengthen you with a renewed trust in the gospel. That he might embolden you to trust in it so much that you drop your vanities and that you cling to it and you proclaim it. Would you pray for one another that that would happen?
Now, if you do one final thing, with the people that you're huddled with, if you would ask the person on your right to give you one name of somebody you would like to see touched by the gospel, and would you pray for that person, and you would you pray for an open door, and would you pray again for your brother or your sister to have the boldness to share the life-giving truth of a crucified Savior with them. Father, it is so good to hear the rumblings of my brothers and sisters' prayers. For I know, Father, that when we cry to you, you act. When we ask that you would come and you would embolden us and you would change us in line with your will, you do so. And so I'm hopeful, Father, that you would change us. I'm hopeful, Father, that we will truly be found faithful in the areas that you have called us to, wherever you have placed us, with whomever you have placed us, that we would be faithful to share Christ Father, only by your power will we change. And so we plead with us, plead with you, change us. Make us your ambassadors who put their pride in the gospel. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of God, 
for it is the power of God unto salvation. Thank you for reminding us of that, Father. Use us, we pray. Amen.